afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? Hey, everybody. Welcome to Sons of Saturday Irish with Tyler Rojack and Luke Smith. I'm Tyler, he's Luke, and today we're here to get you ready for another Saturday night showdown in South Bend as Notre Dame is set to host the North Carolina Tar Heels in a primetime matchup on NBC. Coming into the season, it looked like this game had the potential to be a top 10 matchup considering Notre Dame and North Carolina were ranked 9th and 10th respectively in the AP preseason poll, but the Tar Heels have not lived up to their lofty preseason expectations. It started in their season opener against Virginia Tech. The Hokies shut down Sam Howell and the potent Carolina offense that one. Mac Brown looked like a guy who was coming off a 72-hour bender on the sideline, and then he called his own team overrated in the postgame presser. Um, Like practically every other opponent on Notre Dame's schedule this year, North Carolina is coming off a bye, and they're looking to get things back on track after suffering a loss to Florida State and then squeaking by Miami 45-42 just a couple weeks back. Today we're going to take a look at the history of the matchup, break down North Carolina's strengths and weaknesses on both sides of the ball, and then uh, we'll finish off with some over-unders and score predictions. That's a lot. Luke, where do you want to start? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about this. I don't think that Notre Dame's ever had back-to-back night games at home uh, in our lifetime, which I guess would make sense, right? Because they didn't play night games from, like, 1990 to 2011 and then, like, played one a year till like, 2015, and now they've been kind of doing two or three a year. So I can't think of back-to-back weekends where we've had night games. I know my mother's not happy about it at all. She was like, why are they <laughs> doing another night game? And I'm sure – a lot of people in her demographic probably feel the same way, but personally, I'm pretty excited about another great day at tailgates and some more light shows in the stadium. It's going to be like 54 and, and partly sunny, only like a low of 46 the day, so it should be another great day in South Bend. I'm excited. Yeah, night games are way more fun when you're there, I feel like, because you get the whole day of tailgating. Mm-hmm. It's actually kind of nice over here on the West Coast, though. 4.30 start time is, That's not is bad pretty at all. solid. No, I would much rather prefer that to an 11.30 start time, because if things go wrong and... I actually feel a lot better and more comfortable drinking at, say, 5.30 in the afternoon than maybe 12.15. So well, especially I'm if, looking they, forward to game. if things go wrong and it's an early game, then you're just like in, in like cobweb world from like 3 p.m. <laughs> on, and you're probably just going to go to sleep at like 7 o'clock. Yeah, exactly. I mean, every game or every day game at 3.30 is effectively a noon game for me, so I'm all for it. Yeah, I don't see why you wouldn't be. Honestly, I was kind of just like thinking back on Notre Dame, North Carolina series – I didn't really realize that, like, in the late 40s through the 60s, they used to play every year. They played 20 times. Notre Dame dominates this series. It's 18-2 all time, 3-0 and under Brian Kelly. Yeah, this series, to me, um, some unique memories stick out. The first one is Brady Quinn hitting Jeff Samarja for Samarja's 23rd career touchdown catch, which broke the school record set by Derek Mays. 
Um, Zubikowski also had a punt return for a touchdown in that game, but it was actually kind of ugly. I think the final score was 45-26. In North Carolina, this is when they were really awful. Yeah. They had they were 1-9 or something like that going into the game. That makes sense. Yeah, another one that sticks out. The 2008 game was pretty gross. Um, Notre Dame, you thought they might be getting back on track, and then they just sort of shot themselves in the foot. North Carolina was ranked at the time, and they were home. Um, there was some weird play at the end where, like, I think Notre Dame hit Michael Floyd, and they it was like, Floyd. fumbled. Yeah. Um, and then the shootout in 2014, I really don't remember much about that game other than Everett Golson turning the ball over three times, and the final score was 50-43. to 43. So an absolute shootout. And that's when you kind of started to realize, like, okay, maybe this defense isn't that good. But then they ended up playing well against Florida State a few weeks later. So I think this is a pretty fun game, though. I'm excited for this one. It's obviously not the top 10 matchup that we might have expected, but it still should be a good game. Right. Yeah. No, I, I have a couple memories as well. Like, I, that 2006 game you mentioned, I was at it, but I don't really remember much of it. I, and when you said UNC's record, that explains why. I do remember them returning a kickoff for a touchdown and that's pretty much like my only memory, but um, the 2008 game was brutal. You're right. I remember watching that at my neighbor's house. And the most notable thing about that 2008 game to me was last yeah. year when it was playing on ESPN Classic <laughs> yeah. before the 2020 Notre Dame North Carolina game. And Jay Williams thought he was watching that day's game. If you recall, he tweeted, This UNC versus ND game is insane, but are we still in a pandemic or no? And he had like the thinking emoji goes, I am so confused. So that was pretty vintage Jay Williams, almost as funny as when he uh, congratulated Ime Udoka on being the Celtics' first head coach of color after he forgot Doc Rivers and Bill Russell existed. (laughs) Uh, He's he's prone for some just not realizing what has happened or what world he's living in moments pretty frequently. I really want to know what his thought process was. Because there were some key indicators. Names. Yeah, names, one. I mean, Golden Tate. Uh, Uniforms like Kyle are Rudolph. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It, you know, it's 2008, so the picture quality isn't nearly as good. The whole ESPN broadcast. Charlie Weiss is the coach. <laughs> yeah. How long do you think it took between the time he saw it on TV to fire off that tweet? Was it just an immediate one, or was he actually watching it? I tried to find it, but I'm pretty sure he ended up saying like he got hacked or something, which would just be the most obscure thing to get hacked on of all time. Like <laughs> yeah. he did not get hacked because if I were a hacker and I had access to <laughs> like, an ESPN, oh, let's make Jay radio Williams look like an idiot. personality. <laughs> like of all the things I would go to, I'd go to the game on ESPN Classic and just fire off this stupid ass tweet of like, dude, it took no time at all to recognize. Were, were there fans in the game last year? There were some. They were like parents, I think. Um, but yeah, I really, really stupid. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that 2014 game, I do remember that pretty well actually. So they fell behind 14 nothing, and I just remember Everett making up with some, making up for some turnovers with some touchdowns. Folsom had a really good game. I, I think it's actually the highest scoring game in Notre Dame Stadium history. At least it was at the, at the point at the time. Uh, but what I also remember is UNC had Elijah Hood, who at one point right. had been committed to Notre Dame, and he was the guy that made that vine of him flushing a letter from Alabama down the toilet saying, roll toilet. Um, <laughs> so that was, like, I remember kind of a thing. Um, the only other, like, game that I guess is somewhat notable, besides last year's, of course, which was when Hamilton got ejected and they kind of shut UNC down in the second half, was 2017, because it was uh, Ian Book's first career start when Wimbush was injured. Dion McIntosh, uh, proud Morrissey Manorite, also had a huge game on the ground. Uh, that was one of his really only notable games as an Irish. He's still in college, by the way. Uh, he's at Washington State now. Um, 
I didn't go to this game, but it was during the Cubs-Nats playoff series, and I heard this story from two of my friends who were there and at the game in Chapel Hill, and they were at uh, the big bar there. He's not there, and they recognize Matt Harvey. One of them's a huge Mets fan. and uh, Matt Harvey at a bar? Matt, so yeah, Matt. Well, Matt Harvey also went to North Carolina. Uh, and so they start talking to him. Really nice guy. Bought him a bunch of shots. They asked him for a picture. And he goes, sorry, guys, no pictures. I'm trying to get after it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, that's like pretty much the only story I have from that one. That story definitely fits in line with a lot of other Matt Harvey stories from the past. But all right, as for uh, this year's team, like we mentioned, um, North Carolina, it really hasn't gone that well for him this year. A little bit up and down. Um, their offense is still pretty good. Defense is shaky. They lost, obviously, Javante Williams and Michael Carter last year, two of their best players, both at running back. But what are they like on offense this year? Yeah, so in addition to the two running backs you just mentioned, they also lost their two best receivers from last year, Daz Newsome and De'Ami Brown. And un- understandably, people are concerned about Kyle Hamilton's absence. I, I get it. He's our best player. Um, unfortunately for UNC, they haven't proven they can take advantage of a Kyle Hamilton-less defense. And if you recall, they had that opportunity last year with all those weapons we just mentioned. But it should be noted, they still have Sam Howell and Josh Downs. Uh, they're the offense. I-, I talked about this on the preseason pod. I-, I didn't really understand the UNC hype. Like, yes, Sam Howell's back. Josh D- Downs is very good in the slot, but they, they lost those weapons that we just mentioned. And while they did return all five linemen, the line was horrible last year and we don't need to rehash all that, but I don't think the inconsistent results of this offense to date should be all that surprising. And speaking of that offensive line, uh, they're somehow even worse this year than last year. They've got up 27 sacks on the year, which is one more than Howell has targets to his second leading receiver behind um, downs. And for better context on that, Georgia Tech only has 13 sacks on the year, and eight of those came against North Carolina. Eight. Like, they're good for 123rd in sack rate. And Howell has also fumbled the ball seven times this year. You know what Notre Dame and Isaiah Foskey are really good at? Getting sacks and causing fumbles. I'd look for the Irish defense to cause a couple more on Saturday night and maybe have seven sacks their own. Uh, And because North Carolina has let up 14 in their two road games so far this year. It's true, and I guess on one hand, I feel somewhat sorry for Sam Howell considering the moment he touches the ball, he's getting hit, and there isn't really a whole lot of weapons at his disposal. But even then, like they run a lot of RPO, and he just kind of gets keyed in on one read, and then if that's not there, he tries to take off, or by that point where he's able to make that decision whether or not to throw it, he's already getting hit, so it's not really a recipe for success. It's also interesting. I think one of the other factors contributing to this, and it's something that might take people by surprise if they haven't really watched a lot of North Carolina this year and just really know what Howell did the last couple of years, but he's been really reliant on his legs this year. Um, he's not the same deep ball thrower he was early on in his career, does not have many passes thrown past 20 yards this year. Um, in fact, he leads power five quarterbacks in rushing yards minus sacks. He has 650 on the year. That's I've a seen lot. Some, yeah, I, I mean, it is. And I've seen some commentary from the UNC beat that, this has almost been to his own detriment, which kind of reminds me of a common argument about Ian Book, where he just relies on his legs. Now, a lot of these, though, are designed runs. It's not like Book, where he was just scrambling around. But it's it's different, because it's it's not what we saw from Sam Howell the first two years of his career at North Carolina. Um, but when, when he is throwing the ball, I mean, Josh Downs is getting it pretty much every day in play. Uh, he's been targeted 84 times by Howell, and the next most targeted receiver that 
figure I mentioned earlier has 26. So uh, that's a big drop-off. Downs has 60 catches for 837 yards. Next closest receiver from a yardage standpoint is their tight end, Kamari Morales, with 16 catches. For or sorry, not from a yardage standpoint, from a catches standpoint, it's 16 catches and he only has 146 yards. From a yardage standpoint, it's in Antoine Green with 11 catches for 253 yards. So, what I've seen and from what I've watched, Downs is the only guy that can get open, and and this is really where having Kyle Hamilton would be huge because where does Josh Downs play? He plays in the slot. Where does Kyle Hamilton often play in coverage? The slot. You think he could probably minimize some of his production? Absolutely. Unfortunately, we're not going to have that. We're going to see what DJ Brown and, and Houston Griffith are able to do. But I think it would have been a cool matchup. Um, I actually remember listening to Inside the Garage earlier this year, and, and I'm pretty sure Downs and Hamilton actually grew up together, so they know each other pretty well. So would have been a cool matchup to watch. Unfortunately, not going to get that. But um, that's who they really got a key on. Downs has scored a touchdown in every game so far this year. So you know, he may even be more explosive than the guy we saw last week, Drake London, which is hard to believe, but with that sort of production, it's, I think it's feasible. And, and, you know, Howell for his part has had a touchdown pass in every single game he's played in college, which is a pretty impressive stat. So if the Irish can limit that, I think they'll be in good shape. Um, you know, outside of Howell's ability in the, in the running game, they also have Ty Chandler, who's a transfer from Tennessee at, at running back. Has some explosive ability, um, but he, he has to make a lot of yards for himself with just how bad that line is. But um, I, I think this game overall is just very similar to last week's. They have one player who can get open. They're overly reliant on him, and, and the line is bad. They, they have talent. It just simply has not produced. Yeah, and Downs is also the guy who Hamilton hit mm-hmm. that when he got that targeting penalty. And Yeah, I think they are pretty close friends. So it's unfortunate that we won't be able to see Hamilton. I think the biggest thing is what is Marcus Freeman going to do this week without Hamilton? Because last week it became pretty clear that they were going to let Drake London sort of get his, try to contain him the best they can um, from stretching the defense and getting behind the safeties. But they had to make that decision in the game once Kyle Hamilton went out. Are we going to go with right. the same style? They did. This week they know they're not going to have Hamilton, so they can actually prepare a little bit differently. And Downs might be more explosive, but he's not as effective on the deep ball. So the biggest thing is Notre Dame just is going to have to tackle him and bring him down and keep him in front of him. I just wonder how aggressive Freeman is going to be. They should be able to get pressure. I mean, Notre Dame didn't even have to blitz. That's what I'm saying. Do they need to be aggressive? I don't know. Yeah, so I would say no. I think you're going to get enough pressure just with four, and then you can just spy Howell with a linebacker, bracket downs when he's in the slot, and just have a safety over top of him and make sure that he's not ever lined up one-on-one with, like, J.D. Bertrand, let's say. Yeah, USC did that once with a tight end last week. Worked pretty well for them on that one play. Yeah, exactly. This is the game last year when Maris Leofau sort of had his breakout game. He hadn't really played a whole lot that season, and then – kind of out of nowhere against North Carolina, just went out, was in the backfield all day. Do you think we could see that from maybe a Jack Kaiser, someone we haven't seen as much in this one? Prince Collie? <laughs> no. Uh, no. I don't know. That was not what I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I'm not either. I'm just throwing it out there. You know, it's it's interesting because I, I don't think year-to-year comparisons, and this is something I'm guilty of doing a lot, but I don't think they're a good comparison to make. But obviously Notre Dame shut this team down in the second half without Hamilton last year. They held them scoreless. I, what I remember from that game, though, is like for all the good that Notre Dame did, 
UNC's play calling was like very suspect in that second half. Like a lot of runs to the outside, and Drew White and company were just all over it. Like Jay just couldn't do anything. Um, so I don't know. Um, I I do think you're right though. I don't know how much pressure they're going to have to bring because this line is terrible. Um, so they might just be able to, to blow past, and this is going to be the worst offensive line they've seen since the Toledo game. And Notre Dame had five sacks in that game. So I I really think it's going to be a field day. I, I I don't know. I'm excited to see this defense play because, like, all I've heard this week is, well, and this is from people on the Notre Dame beat, right? Like, Sam Howell's got to be licking his chops because Kyle Hamilton's not playing the game. He's probably pretty happy Kyle Hamilton isn't playing so he doesn't get decapitated. But the fact of the matter is they have one guy that can get open. So, like, those issues still exist. And, and that's been the case against Georgia State, Georgia Tech, Virginia. It's one guy. Like, they can't get open. So um, I feel pretty good about it. Yeah, and I mean, how much does it really matter who's playing 30 yards off the ball if Hal is getting hit right. within two seconds of getting the snap? Um, I mean, once you do that, everything sort of opens up. That was the biggest thing in the second half last year. Notre Dame was able to just get after him, and, and that just completely shut down any momentum North Carolina would ever get on offense. And I think we'll probably see the same this year. Yeah, no, I uh, it's like one of those weird games where, for me, I'm actually excited to see the defense on the field because I just think they're <laughs> going to have a field day. Yeah, definitely. Now, when Notre Dame has the ball, North Carolina has two defensive coordinators giving credence to the phrase, if you have two defensive coordinators, you have none, because uh, their defense has not been very good this year. Jay Bateman and Tommy Thigpen, I think that's how you say it. Anyway, yep. they serve as co-defensive coordinators, and they mostly run a 3-4 scheme, but they change that up week to week depending on the opponent, uh, kind of like Marcus Freeman. I feel like each week we might see a brand-new base defense in the week before. Um they rank 68th in the country in yards per play and are tied for 91st in scoring defense, giving up an average of 28.86 points per game. And if you look at Notre Dame's defense as better than the sum of its parts, North Carolina is the complete opposite because they actually have a few really talented players but haven't put together a good stretch of team defense at all this season. Their D-tackle, Miles Murphy, is really good. He's got four sacks and eight-and-a-half tackles for loss. Toman Fox is a good rusher on the edge. But as a whole... Their defensive line has struggled to get after the passer or stop the run, which is, you know, they're two pretty important aspects of defensive <laughs> line play. Um, they've only registered 14 sacks as a team this year. That's tied for 78th in the country. And they give up about 160 yards a game on the ground, which puts them at 80th in the country. So not a whole lot going well for them there at linebacker. Uh, true sophomore Cedric Gray is really solid. He actually started every game as a true freshman last year. And they put him all over the field. He's definitely someone Cone is going to have to keep an eye out for because he's actually already picked off two passes. And other than that, linebacker unit as a whole isn't great. Uh, the group has particularly struggled with mo- mobile quarterbacks. And their loss to Florida State, Jordan Travis ran all over him. He finished with 120 yards and two touchdowns on 14 carries. And then in the loss against Georgia Tech, Jeff Sims, the quarterback over there, he ran for 128 yards and three touchdowns on 10 carries. Wow. So... We might see a lot of Tyler Buckner in this one. The North Carolina secondary was supposed to be, you know, much improved, but it just hasn't been the case. Quarterback Tony Grimes is their best player. You might remember him as the five-star who reclassified to the class of 2020, which is kind of unheard of in football. You see it in college basketball, but not really in football because, you know, they're grown men playing. And he started four games last year just a few months after turning 18. Um, He's a good player for sure, but he just hasn't at least up to this point, played up to his five-star potential. 
And as for everyone else in the Carolina secondary, they're they're average to below average. Well, I'm just, just sort of just ripping this defense. But look, they're good athletes who don't like to tackle. Well, if you recall, they're also supposed to have Storm Duck, but he has not played True. since he did not play last year against us. He's been out that entire time somehow. So he was probably the best member of their secondary. And yeah, they, that's a good are, point. they are feeling the loss of him mightily. <laughs> And the second coolest name at cornerback other than Sauce Gardner. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, man, they're, they're good athletes. They just don't really like to tackle. It kind of reminds me of the uh, defense on Notre Dame during the Charlie Weiss days led by you know Gary Gray and company who just oh, could geez. not make a tackle to save their life. Um, but, honestly, if Kyron or pretty much any Notre Dame runner can get to the second level, you really you make one guy miss and you could be gone. So Notre Dame could get some big plays in the run game, which we haven't seen a whole lot this year. Uh, most of the big plays have come through the air. And that really just leads me to what Notre Dame should try and do against this defense. And honestly, like it doesn't matter. Like As long as they just don't get in their own way, they should be able to move the ball just fine. Um, the offense should build off of all the success they've had since late in the fourth quarter against Virginia Tech, because that's really when it started. Keep the tempo up, connect on the short passes, make this North Carolina defense make mistakes, because more than likely they will. Um, Like I was saying, I do think we're going to see a lot of Tyler Buckner in this one, and not because Cone is struggling. I think it's a uh, decisive schematic advantage, you could say, to borrow more Charlie White stuff. Um, Too many Charlie White references (laughs) in this episode. Yeah, we already talked about the 2008 game. Yeah, but I think we'll see his package incorporated more in this one, given the struggles that North Carolina has had against mobile quarterbacks. And when Cone is out there, I think we might see a couple more deep shots, um, more than what we've seen in recent games, because North Carolina has been pretty susceptible to the big play all season. And I'm not saying we're going to see like a 50-50 split at quarterback. That might be a little bit unreasonable, but definitely should see a lot more TB12 in this one. Yeah, uh, so I said something on the last episode, and I'm going to kind of reverse course on this. I, I kind of question whether or not Notre Dame should continue with this tempo offense against North Carolina and, and try to get into a shootout. I don't believe that anymore. I think they should absolutely continue with the tempo. Here's why. Bateman's defense relies on a ton of pre-snap communications, and they've had a lot of instances this year, and Bateman has gone on the record admitting it, that they've just been out of position on defense because they can't communicate fast enough when going against tempo. So just keep doing that. They, uh, there was an instance in the, what game was this? Wait, I have a question about Bateman. Mm -hmm. Was Bateman? Yeah. He was the D coordinator when they kept showing him on the broadcast last season, who was having all the struggles with his mask. Yes. Is that okay? That's who I thought it was. Uh, So I can't, I can't remember which game this was. I was watching. I think it may have been the Florida state game. Uh, Jordan Travis, took a snap from like the I don't know, 10 yard line, ran it in for a touchdown while North Carolina had 13 players on the field. <laughs> and like, he looked so confused that he just walked into the end zone that he thought like there was a penalty on them. Of course there wasn't like, it was just like, like he just walked into the end zone. Like they, they have some serious issues and in, in just from a discipline and getting lined up standpoint. So I think you keep with the tempo here because that's something they've struggled with all season. Yeah, and and a part of that is the fact that they play a lot of young guys. Like, Mac Brown has been able to recruit really well since he uh, got the head coaching job at North Carolina, and that's the thing. is like this was the year that all those recruits that he's been getting were supposed to develop into, you know, real good college football players, but they're still playing a lot of young guys, so they just haven't, as a whole, developed like they'd want or that they expected, and 
here they are sitting four and three, just sort of middle of the pack ACC team, and they're probably going to lose Sam Howell to the draft next year. So I don't know. I mean, they still have some good players, good recruits, but it just it just hasn't really panned out for them this year. Yeah, it's interesting. I uh, I was in Chapel Hill two years ago um, for Notre Dame North Carolina basketball game. It was when we were playing Duke that weekend, so I just kind of made a trip of like Tobacco Road out of it, which was really cool. But like <laughs> the football, and actually, we recorded an episode of this podcast while I was sitting in in uh, Keenan oh, yeah, Royal the, Stadium, the practice one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one yeah. has not been released to the public, so no one listening, right? Heard but that one. <laughs> it was cool. Like, I mean, you just walk onto the field, but like. Every like gift shop there just has all these like Carolina blue shirts saying like Mac is back and like they were really hyped up and obviously brought in a lot of recruited recruits but um, it hasn't quite translated yet so I I don't know yeah they just got Zach Rice who's the number one tackle mm-hmm. I think in the entire class that's right? kind of their thing I think he's an in state guy as well right or maybe he's from Virginia I don't remember um, but they like they get like a couple like in state five stars and then a bunch of three stars and ultimately that doesn't really translate which um, wasn't like, didn't want to Driscoll's guys write some articles saying that Brian Kelly needs to follow, uh, the model that yes. Mac Brown and UNC have oh set. Oh my God. I totally <laughs> forgot about that till just now. And, uh, and Mac Brown this week then says Notre Dame is who we want to be. <laughs> you know, this might shock you. I'm not reading up on all those articles over there. <laughs> no, this, I mean, this is like two years ago. So. No, but I remember that definitely got set around. Um, all right, you want to get some uh, over-unders in this one? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, sacks for the Notre Dame defense. We're putting it at six, which is like crazy high, but like you just mentioned, Georgia Tech at eight. So mm-hmm. high number. What do you take? Um, I mean, they had they had eight, and they had 13 on the season, right? So I'm going over six. I'm, I think they have at least seven. Sounds ridiculous. I think but, I'm going to take the yeah. over two. Yeah, and they got what five last year or six last year? Yeah, I think that sounds right. Okay, six last year. This year, the offensive line is even worse. So I'm going with the over. Okay, rushing yards for Tyler Buckner, fifty-five. I kind of want to say like even, honestly, but um, I'm going to say slightly under. I think he's in like the fifty to fifty-five range. And it's like not because he's not having success. I just like, and I know you just rattled off all those stats about how bad they are against Russian quarterbacks, but yeah, I mean he's not going to be playing as much. That's the thing. I just kind of, ex- I kind of expect Jack Cohn to have some success, so I don't expect to see him as much. Okay, I'm going to take the over because I think he's been pretty close to breaking off a big one, and I think that if he gets to the second level, like he runs with such power and he's pretty elusive too. He always he loves to go to the stiff arm. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think he could break off like a 30-yarder, and I think other than okay. that, he can get consistently like uh, five or six. So I'm actually going to take the over on that. Defensive touchdowns for Notre Dame. We'll set it at a half. I'm going to say over. I think they get one this week. They should have had one last week. Um, didn't get it quite, but I'm going to say over they get one this week. I'm going to say under only because Kyle Hamilton isn't going to be there, and I think they might be just a little bit more conservative, but... I'll well, I'm thinking, I mean, it doesn't matter if Isaiah Foskey just works his way through the tackle True. and just drills Hal's arm and the ball pops up, but fair point. If we do get one, I hope it's Bo Bauer. <laughs> <laughs> I hope, because I can't even imagine how much shit he's been hearing since he got hawked by Slovis at like the eight-yard line. Okay, last one. Pass yards for Sam Howell, 265. That's his average per game on the year. I think over. I think he gets like 280. Um I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball that well on us. Um, but I do think that, like, 
I, like I think I said, it's going to be kind of a similar game to last week. And I think it could be kind of a bend, but don't break defense again. Mostly Josh downs. Um, I think he gets to like two eighty, So I think it's over. I think he gets over too. I wouldn't even be surprised if he got to 300 and Notre Dame could yeah. still keep him in check. Just given what we saw against USC and how they're letting Drake London just get significant gains, but all just pretty short. You know, you don't want to let him get behind you. It's like the all-time football cliche that I think is so funny. It's like, yeah, they just want to keep them in front of him. The defense just want to keep the ball in front of him. Like, what defense wants to let the ball get behind him? It's so stupid. It's just pointing out the obvious. But anyway, um, yeah, I think they're going to play pretty conservative. Sam Howell will probably get... They'll, they'll probably get some drives, but as long as Notre Dame is able to lock down in the red zone, they'll be fine. So that leads us to score predictions. Who do you want to go first? Uh, you can go. All right. Yeah, I mean, this game is pretty much going to come down to the Notre Dame defense. As long as they're able to contain Hal and the offense for most of the game and not give up the chunk plays that sort of plagued this team early on in the season, I think they should win relatively easily. Carolina is 4-0 when scoring 35 points or more and 0-3 when they don't hit that number. And the only team to put up more than 30 points all season against Notre Dame was Florida State in the season opener. Um, and when you take into account the two pick sixes that the Notre Dame offense gave up against Toledo and Virginia Tech, no other offense has really come close to that, with Cincinnati being the lone exception. So taking all that into account, I think Notre Dame can and should control this game from beginning to end. And as long as the offense continues to build and the progress it's made over the last few weeks, which I think it will, um, Notre Dame should win by two scores, cover easily. I don't think I mentioned it off the top, but Notre Dame's only favored by three and a half. Mm -hmm. Uh, That seems really low to me, and I'm taking Notre Dame 38 to 24. Okay. Yeah, we're pretty pretty close. Um, Like I said, I think a game that's not very different from last week, that Josh Downs will get his, much like Drake London did. Um, You know, Hal, for his part, I think, gets probably a touchdown too. Um, It'd be really nice to see him not, but... He's done it every game of his career. Um, I, I do think Notre Dame's defense should have a really big day. It's the worst offensive line they've seen since Toledo. I think they're going to have a lot of sacks, and I think the offense will really be able to move the ball at will, and, and the Irish get another big win to move to 7-1. Seven 7-1, and one. Seven and one, pretty damn good, and it's it's just sort of a testament to like coming into this season how all these teams who you know you think they're going to make this jump, they're going to make this leap, and they should be able to knock off Notre Dame, and then Notre Dame, here we are, consistently winning games because winning is hard, and Notre Dame does it often. Mm-hmm, indeed. All right, that'll do it for this episode. Uh, We'll be back on Tuesday to recap everything that happened over the weekend. From Luke and myself, thank you for listening. Enjoy the game, and please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll be back with you again on Tuesday. Tuesday.